2: Hi, nice. welcome back to the uh, program, ladies and gentlemen. And now it's time for something we call uh, Stupid Petrix.
3: From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound.
2: And uh, here's the deal. It's just uh, people, folks, everyday Americans like you and like me. Where are you from? I'm from Closter, New Jersey. Uh, Closter, you're saying? Closter. And they have little animals, little pets, canaries, parakeets, turtles, uh, uh, venomous vipers, that kind of thing. (laughs) And and they've taught them to do silly little goofy tricks.
3: ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound soundbites, and bits of purring audio we find all over the world. We listen to everything we can get our ears on, then bring you the best of what we hear each week.
2: It's a cute puppy. Hello, Alfie. And uh, what are you going to do with Alfie? Alfie's going to play the piano with his nose and sing. Play the piano with his nose and sing.
4: Good enough. That's it,
3: right? Nice job. My cat. Polar bear used to let me wear him around my neck like a stole. He was dumb as a post, sweet as corn syrup, and purred like he was gargling gravel. His mate, Kissy, was as indifferent and standoffish as he was indiscriminate and slovenly. Then came Euclid, our dog, Hammy, the hamster, gerbils, turtles, guinea pigs, snakes, and mice. You can't explain to someone who isn't an animal person just how much a pet can change your life. They don't grow up, they don't talk back, and they are always happy to see you. Clearly, I'm not the only person who feels this way. Animals abound in the radio stories we've been listening to lately. We've been waiting years to find the right show in which to play some of these pieces. The time is now, the place is here, the show is ReSound. Today, we devote the hour to our furry and less furry friends. Stay with us. The thought of a pet going missing is an awful one, which is why people now microchip their dogs and cats, just in case the worst happens. But some animals cannot be chipped. Though, in this case, you'd think it really wouldn't be necessary since the pet in question isn't exactly the road runner. In this episode from Reply All, a podcast about the Internet, reporter Damiano Marchetti tells our favorite tortoise story, in which Craigslist plays a prominent role.
0: Well...
5: How's it going? Hi. Hi I'm Damiano. Damiano.
6: Mike? Mike, this is Tricia.
7: Tricia, really nice Hi, to meet you. Ben. What's up, yeah. Ben? How are you doing? Who got the turtle originally?
5: My um, my dad's friend from work had two t- tortoises that had uh, litter. We got the runt. It was about the size of a quarter. How old
7: were you? In 1980.
5: I was, uh, 11.
7: 11? Uh, yeah. That's a long time to have a pet.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're super sad. I hope he finds his way back somehow.
7: Will uh, you read the first ad that you put up? Yeah.
5: Him? It's right here. Lost tortoise. Flash has escaped. Last seen near Gregory Court in the Rincon Valley area. If you have seen this large tortoise, we would appreciate his return. He has been our pet for 36 years. He does not come when you call him. Thank you.
7: What does he look like?
5: He's about a foot long or maybe 14 inches long, and he's pretty big and heavy. Like, it takes two hands to pick him up.
8: He's like the color of a stone. Um... And he's he's large, and he goes faster than you would think.
5: Trudging along like a miniature dinosaur.
7: What do you think his personality was?
9: Oh, he's kind of. Oh wow, <laughs> I kind of like this world. You know, I come out and he's he's got his neck and going like this, like that. He's kind of jazzy, huh? <laughs> After sleeping for a long time, I can't believe it. He sleeps for a long time and then he comes out, all ready for the world again like nothing happened.
7: Can you show me the, where he escaped? Yeah, right around the corner. We're walking into the backyard.
9: This is like little... Territory, he'd get himself stuck in the weirdest spots, like behind there he'd just be chilling, or behind the wood, or just like stuck somewhere. But mostly he just like roamed around until we fed him.
5: What did he eat?
9: He he eats broccoli, radish leaves, um, rose petals, uh, he likes dandelions.
10: He, watermelon.
5: Loves watermelon. he loves watermelons. Yeah. <laughs> he made his way out of the gate. He can really push on it and then gets himself out. He's that strong? Yeah, he's really persistent.
7: Are all these scrapings from him? That's yeah. from
10: him.
5: You could come see what he did to our screen. We call him the screen wrecker, is he? He just gets up against the glass and he just shoves his shell back and forth trying to get into the room because he likes being inside. It's like completely frayed and ripped away. Just destroyed. Oh, because he wants to go inside? Yeah. If he gets inside, he'll find his way into a closet and take a nap, (laughs) relax a little bit. He sleeps for nine months out of the year in a box in the garage
7: really yeah he just doesn't he like hibernate hibernates and he wa- he has quite a personality he's like one of those always greener on the other side people. he
5: wants to he's seems so like he, he's a yeah he wants to always go somewhere else it seems like we think he's looking for a girlfriend he's 36 and he's never had a girlfriend
7: So uh, Mike just told me something a little crazy, which is that a couple of days ago, the mailman called them and was like, I think I found your tortoise. So they went to look. The mailman pulls out a tortoise and it's not their tortoise. It's like somebody else's lost tortoise. And so now they have that person's tortoise.
5: So we took that tortoise just because we didn't want to like, we wanted to keep it safe until we found that person's owner. So there's like multiple people out there with lost tortoises, apparently. So the last one we, we posted two days ago was that we lost our tortoise, and in the process of looking for him, we found someone else's lost tortoise, which is too weird. So if you live in Rinkin Valley, and if you have lost a tortoise, contact us. This one may be yours.
7: And no one's gotten back to
5: you. No one's gotten back to us yet.
9: Um, The mailman said he found it by the street, but that was right by a couple of houses. We should probably go ask, like, around there.
7: Okay, we just got to where the mailman found the tortoise, and there's, like, this house right here. We're going to go knock on the door and see if they know anything about it. Hello? Hi, um, I'm a reporter and I'm trying to help this family because we found a tortoise here on the, the corner of your road, oh. and we were wondering if, if it was your tortoise, if no. you knew anything about it.
9: No, I don't. Oh, okay. No. I, don't, I wonder how she got here. Maybe somebody, she's somebody's pet, maybe. That's what
7: we were thinking. Yeah.
9: Thinking. I, uh, the people across the street, they have cats and chickens. Well, you do. I don't know what you want to do, but it's not it's mine. It's not yours. Okay, <laughs> no, no.
7: well, we were just checking. Thank you very much.
9: You're welcome. Yeah, okay, bye-bye. Bye, thank you. Bye. 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 Okay. Okay. okay.
7: Okay, Benny, what are we going to do right now?
9: Um, we're going to drive to the re- reptile rescue thing and drop off the tortoise and talk to him, the guy at there. Cool. And stuff. <laughs>
3: Just
7: got to the Sonoma County Reptile Center here to drop off the tortoise that the family found and to see if they know anything about Flash their tortoise. Okay. How's it going? <laughs> My name's Amiano. Hi, um, I'm Al.
11: What was your name? I'm Al Wolf. I'm the director of Sonoma County Reptile Rescue. We have about 200 snakes here. We have about 40 tortoises, um, many turtles, a bunch of lizards, a bunch of other critters. And like in the bucket, I just brought three more rattlesnakes. Yeah, and that's five for the day.
7: What do you do with them?
11: We let them go at people's houses that ask questions. (laughs) Yeah. And if you get bit, go to the hospital. (laughs) It happens to me occasionally. 13 times. I hate to count it, but you do. Follow through my zoo here.
7: We're walking to the back of the Reptile Center.
11: this whole yard is set up for tortoises, okay? Hey, little guy, this is set up for box turtles, Russian tortoises, and Greek tortoises. There's two box turtles right there, a box turtle there, a Greek tortoise over there. um, there'll be probably, I think, 47 tortoises just in this pen. And, and I live here. And I live here too, yeah. People think it's paradise, but, um, do you think having 12 kids is paradise? I don't know. Uh, you know, I have hundreds of kids. <laughs> it's, it's tough. I get up in the morning start feeding. I come home, like, I'll be feeding mice and stuff to all the snakes tonight. You know, we have thought out frozen mice. So all the you get fed and then tomorrow anything left over gets fed to the box turtles and the water turtles. They get all the extra thought out frozen mice. So they're meat eaters. So right now Trisha is taking out the tortoise to show Al. It's a Russian tortoise and it's a boy tortoise. Okay, because of the tail. Yeah. The long tail is the boy, the short little button tail is a girl. The Russian tortoises, they're from what we call all the Stan states, Kazakhstan, Kurdistan, Afghanistan. People get them pets, they put them in the backyard, not realizing they climb really well, and they dig really well. Out they go, and that's it.
8: So I, I, I posted um, online that I brought the tortoise okay, here, good. so hopefully somebody will yeah, yeah, call. We'll get the call. And, yeah. So what are the prospects for our tortoise?
11: Well, again, it's going to live as long as a person. But like, oh, you'll lost. find it. In ah. your neighborhood, there's a good chance you've walked by your tortoise five times already. Yeah.
7: <laughs> no. Ah. Yeah.
11: Makes you feel that way, but that, they're designed to hide. I mean, we had one I drive down off Robler Road, and I saw this lost tortoise sign, Desert Tortoise. And I went, hmm. And I saw it up there for like six, eight weeks. And finally, I get a call from Blank Road, which is just over the hill. And it's a desert tortoise. Oh, they were tickled pink. And it had been gone for about three months. So, you say everyone gets their tortoises back for the most part? Um, I would say about 95%. How's it going?
7: Hey. I'm fine. I'm um, trying to help your neighbors find their tortoise, their lost tortoise. You might know oh, about yeah. it. yeah. Come on It's
9: kind
7: of messy. Well, it doesn't look like he's here, does it? What do you think?
9: Well, it depends, because most of the time when he escapes, he goes down to the end of the down court, so he probably is like, oh, that's where I usually go. Why don't I go a
4: different
6: way this time? this tree and under the grapes.
7: Hello? Hello? How's it going? Okay. Trying to find help your neighbors find their lost tortoise.
9: Last night Sarah said he saw a cat gathering with like nine cats just in a circle. Probably like a oddly shaped circle. <laughs>
12: Flash!
8: I wonder, we thought maybe he went down the gutter
4: there, but we, yeah, we looked.
5: and
3: <laughs> Things were not looking good for the reunion of the ironically named Flash the tortoise and his human family, but a few months later, reporter Damiano came back to update Reply All hosts Alex Goldman and PJ Vote about the case of this runaway reptile.
13: Uh, so we are here in the studio, uh, with Damiano, who just got back from vacation in California. Damiano,
7: hello. Hey guys.
14: Welcome back, man.
7: Thank you. So I don't know what's going on. Neither do I.
14: Yeah. Why are we here?
7: Um, we are here because I have a small update about the tortoise. (gasps) What is the update? Yeah. How small are we talking? Oh, don't get too excited. Just a couple of interesting things have happened.
13: Well, there's like it's a binary story. In my mind. Like, the tortoise is found or not found. It's not like I don't know. Like there are rumors that the tortoise is living a happy life down in Mexico under another Flash name. Flash is a
7: complex character, <laughs> El Flasho. And so, since I was back in California last week, I paid the family a visit. Hey, hold hey, on. How are you doing, man? How are you? Let's good. Good were still you like. So Benny is Benny's It's a uh, Mike is the dad, and Trisha's the mom. Benny is their kid. And um, so we sat down in the kitchen. So how long I'm just trying to like uh, back up to when I last saw you. How long ago was that?
5: It was definitely before he normally starts to hibernate, which is Octoberish.
7: And they told me that since then the mood in the house has gotten a lot more grim.
9: It's been raining a lot, like and it's been
5: really cold. Like unseasonably cold for this area. Yeah.
8: And I just imagined him Because when they hibernate, they burrow a little bit. They sort of, like, burrow in wherever they're sitting. And I just imagine the rain just flooding him out and him drowning.
7: Benny, their son, had a different idea.
9: I I thought that he went down the the drain. But you guys kept saying that he wouldn't fit in the gutter.
7: Benny kept trying to get Mike to climb down into the storm drain to, like, retrieve the tortoise. But, um... There's these huge raccoons that live down there and, like, pop up from time to time. One of the raccoons came out of the storm drain and killed their chickens. Oh, my God. So they had, were, like, chickenless and tortoise-less, and all of their pets were gone and potentially dead. The
13: whole thing is, like, a vicious Disney movie.
7: hmm But the other possibility is that he's, like, miles and miles away. Like, if, if he's been walking since I was there, he could be, like, in, in Virginia or something. Okay. So... Trisha decides, like, okay, at this point, we just, we need to, like, we need to come to terms with, like, the fact that Flash, our lifelong pet, is, is, like, most likely gone forever or dead. Um, and so they wanted to do something to get some closure, like bury a box in the backyard or something. But then they get a text and the text says, Someone has found your tortoise.
13: No.
14: Get out of here.
13: Actual tortoise or just another tortoise that looks like Flash?
7: Someone has found your tortoise and it's your neighbor two doors down. No. They were cleaning out their garage. They moved away some boxes and there was Flash.
14: Oh! Shut up. <laughs> really?
7: <laughs> Sleeping away.
14: That's the best. Yeah. That's the best. I told you that he could have survived any <clears throat> anything.
13: So did you just had you had you knocked on the door of that neighbor's house?
7: Yeah. So when we were searching they live at like the end of this court and we were searching we had talked to her, we had gone through her whole backyard, and we hadn't found him. The thing that I keep thinking about is like, he did he like walk for miles and then just like came back?
13: That does not seem like no. an Occam's razor no, solution, he here. did not,
7: and then just go in the garage. I think
13: there was a, I think you're trying to invent a
7: scenario where there wasn't a tortoise right under <laughs> your nose. <laughs> well, anyway, um, so Mike picked up Flash and carried him very carefully back to their house and now he's hibernating in their garage and I got to go meet him
5: you have to be careful um, picking him up because you don't want to wake him up because mm-hmm. then he'll pee and if you start him he'll pee and all his you know that's his what he lives on for the next couple months
7: On this shelf, there's like just like a big cardboard box, and he pulls it out and opens it up and flashes inside, just sleeping. I see the scratch on his shell. Is that it right there?
9: Yeah, he's... he's, It's
4: like there and
7: there. What were your impressions of him? He's like a little smaller than I thought he was. He's like very charming, and he's like... Do you know when Can like, you
14: describe his charm a little bit for he's me? He's just please? like,
7: I don't know. He's just like You're clutching yourself. He's in not joy. an intimidating size. He's like a nice size, and he's got like a nice sheen to his shell. He's got that one toe gone, which is like Very a little, cute. little bit of character. Yeah. His little head is sort of like his little beak is like kind of popped out of his shell just slightly. And he was like, you know, when animals sleep and they're like moving slightly, sort of like because they're dreaming about yeah. something. And So his legs are sort of like very slowly swimming back and forth. So that's my update.
14: I have to say, I'm very happy for the family. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited. Mm -hmm. My one regret with Uh the way this turned out Mm -hmm. is that I was so excited to be like, look, I will go into the sewers. (laughs) with a recorder and a BB gun, and I will fight off those raccoons and find that tortoise. Oh my God. That, to me, sounds like a great adventure. But You should have been a Ninja Turtle. Turns out it wasn't needed. <laughs>
3: That's great. Welcome home, Flash. The Story of Flash was produced by Damiano Marchetti with PJ Vogt and Alex Goldman for the podcast Reply All. If you're curious about how Reply All gets made, you can subscribe to the Third Coast Pocket Conference, where we have a session by PJ talking about exactly that. To hear his session and all your favorite producers explain their work, their opinions, and their secrets, subscribe to the Third Coast Pocket Conference, available wherever you find your favorite casts. Coming up after the break, we're going
6: to train this cat to use the toilet.
3: Cats. One that can't stop drifting, another one that uses the loo. And a question Are animals creative? Methinks yes. Stay with us.
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: Hold up.
8: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
3: Welcome back to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxey. Today, we bring you a show we created just to accommodate some of our favorite pet stories. Why? Because who doesn't love a good animal yarn? And speaking of loving yarn, let's talk about cats.
4: Who's coming?
9: Who's humming? Who's home? It's me!
3: Most pets become family members. They sleep in our beds, often eat our food, and regularly enjoy homespun spa services like pampered grooming, long walks on the beach, and lengthy belly rubs. Nice work if you can get it. But some people, including the great Charles Mingus, believe our pets can be trained to perform even
6: more human-like tricks, specifically peeing in the pot. We know this masterpiece exists because of a photograph. Charles Mingus likely took it himself sometime in 1953 or early 54. It's a photo of his cat. There it is, jet black with a white belly and chin, and he's perched on the side of a toilet bowl. He's got his tail in the air and a look of content concentration on his face. It's a look that's best described as the kind of look a cat would have when taking a dump into Charles Mingus's toilet. The photo is on the cover of a small pamphlet which you could order directly from him by mail called The Charles Mingus
16: Catalog for Toilet Training Your Cat. Step one You must train your cat to use a homemade cardboard litter box. Start moving the box towards the bathroom. Do it gradually. You got to get him thinking. Then...
6: You put the box on top of the toilet. Mingus gets extremely detailed.
16: Cut a small hole in the very center of his box, less than an apple, about the size of a plum. Right away, he will start aiming for the hole.
6: It goes on and on like this.
16: And after a week or two... You will realize that you have won. The most difficult part is over. Mingus concludes with some crucial advice. The main thing to remember is not to rush or confuse it. Good luck, Charles Mingus, 1954
9: Yeah.
6: In 2014, in a two-bedroom apartment in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, we're putting the Mingus method to the test.
9: Hi. nice to meet you. Nice to meet
6: you. So who is this? This
9: is Dizzy. Dizzy. Dizzy's a five and a half month old kitten.
6: We're going to train this cat to use the toilet.
10: Licking the microphone.
6: (laughs) Dizzy is that perfect mix of trusting and playful and super cute. And his owners, Kevin and Nicole, are going above and beyond.
13: We have been playing a lot of Charles Mingus for him.
6: Awesome. I asked Mingus biographer Gene Santoro about that. What song would he play for the cat? You know, to get him in the mood. If you put on something like Better Get It In Your
0: Soul, the cat's likely to not be too happy because it's raucous. You might want to listen to Farwell's Mill Valley. It's a very, very beautiful
6: piece. As you flip through the catalog, you can interpret it in two ways. One, it's the work of a crazy musician stuck in his railroad apartment. When I listen to Mingus's music, sometimes I think of it as sort of a map to his fevered mind. The pamphlet, it reads the same way. But it also tells a second story that of a creative mind in overdrive. That nagging urge that led to his cat training obsession is the same thing that drove his musical genius.
0: There isn't a disconnect. He was doing jazz, so there was improvisation, Bob. But when he was writing the music for, like, the heads and the themes and things like that, he was attempting to notate down to the breath control exactly what each note in those themes would be for every instrumentalist. And this is the period we're talking about where this gets generated. It's that same sort of, like, step-by-step, I'm going to take you through this, and then you're on your own. Do you have cats? I inherited a cat from my daughter when she left home, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, does it use the toilet? Uh, it does not, no. It strikes me as a longtime cat cohabitor or whatever I am that it actually makes sense in terms of the cat's psychology. Everything is very gradual. You know, it's not a dog. You can't hurt it. <laughs> right. This project, do you think he thought he would make money Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why he was selling it. He'd
6: talk about it after gigs with people or stuff like that. Imagine that moment, a smoky jazz club, 1954. You go up to chat with the legendary bass player. You want an autograph or maybe a little musical advice. But before you know it, he steers the conversation towards getting you to buy his pamphlet about toilet training a cat. Ah, A couple weeks into the dizzy experiment, I check in with Kevin and Nicole. They're still on step one.
13: Yeah, we woke up this morning to a surprise on the bath mat, and then a few days ago, he just sort of missed the box.
6: You know, there's an easier way to do this. On the internet, you can buy a kit, and it's basically a modern version of the Mingus method. But Kevin and Nicole are following the catalog. Cardboard box, newspaper litter patience, and time.
16: It took me about three or four weeks to toilet train my cat, nightlife.
5: Um, it's a little bit of a hassle. It just requires a little bit of undoing the bungee cords and moving things around and newspaper flying everywhere in the bathroom.
16: Do
6: it gradually. He's so cute, so it's worth it. Mr. Mingus, what do you think of this eviction today? I think America is beautiful. As the 50s moved into the 60s, Charles Mingus's life began to fall apart. There's this documentary from the time, which shows him being evicted from his apartment. Charlie, do you think you're being persecuted because you're a jazz musician? No, I think I'm really being helped. I really think I'm being helped. In what way? I don't know. I think that uh, maybe
16: people get to see what's going
6: on. His belongings are all over the sidewalk. He's walking down the stairs, holding a shotgun babbling erratically. His whole scene had collapsed musically. He was doing a lot of pills. Later in life, Santoro says his children, visiting their father in Los Angeles, discovered a collection of bottles filled with urine. He told them, I think, at different points that these were like experiments he was doing, but he was out of it. Mingus wrote some of the greatest jazz of the century, but he never really made any money off of it. Suffice it to say... He never made any money from the catalog, either. It's been three months since I first met Dizzy, so I called to check in on the progress. So, <laughs> do you have bad news for me?
13: Bad news for you in that
11: um, the the Mingus potty training method was, was a failure, unfortunately. Um, Dizzy never really got used to the idea of using the laptop
2: box with newspaper in it. He just like, was not into it. So we actually sprung for like uh, I
6: don't know. Can I say brand names? Is that or am I like endorsing them? Then I don't know. So like, they're, say they're it. City Kitty. City Kitty is a, is the brand. There, I said it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I feel a little bit like a sellout, but uh, he had trouble. He had trouble being on target. Well, look, you know, I don't think you're dishonoring the legacy of Charles Mingus or anything. I just think that your cat is not feeling it. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. All of public radio listening America is pulling. For Dizzy to pull it off, one way or another. <laughs> okay, yeah, I hope so. We certainly are. Mingus was on to something. There's certainly a benefit to it, both spiritually and logistically, in the household. And you're not going to throw out any of your Mingus records or anything. No, no, not at all. If anything, it has only it has only furthered my love of the man and his music. Charles Mingus toilet trained his
3: cat. We put his method to the test. It was produced by Jody Avigran for Studio 360 from WNYC Studios. For a link to Mingus' entire brochure, visit thirdcoastfestival.org.
8: I decided to get rid of my lovely cat. He loves to play. I think he's teething. Oh!
10: Stop it! He's very loving
3: and uh, kind. I'm saying nice things about you. Go away. As any cat owner will tell you, cats have a mind of their own. Famous for being finicky and standoffish, you cannot push a cat around. And, much to many cat lovers' dismay, you can't make a cat love you. They do or they don't. Our next story is about a cat who didn't, and he could not be contained.
8: Literally. As soon as we brought Snowdrift home, he had to be out exploring, whether it was terrorizing small children next door.
10: Snowdrift has been in the house, and Maya and her playdate are terrified.
8: Or hopping into cars and going home with strangers who lived miles away.
13: Hey, George and Jennifer, we have never met,
5: but we've met your cat, Snowdrift.
8: The phone rang because of him more than anyone else in her house. But before we get into all of his adventures, the frustration and anguish he caused, and his secret life, Snowdrift started out as a six-week-old kitten from the hilltop neighborhood of Tacoma. Our old cat died. Our daughter, Lucy, started looking at ads for kittens on Craigslist. She instantly fell in love. We let her give this gray, striped tabby with a pink nose a name, and she chose Snowdrift.
9: We didn't know he was a boy, so we got him, like, pink everything. The, the pink bed, little
8: pom-poms, and pink toys. George, my husband, made sure we were extra careful walking around the house.
12: He was this tiny little cotton ball. My main concern was that one of us would step on him and kill him with a single step because he was the size of a small plum.
8: One of the first things we did when we brought him home was give him a bath and pick dozens of fleas off his little body. He was absolutely adorable. At night, we would put him in bed with Lucy.
9: All of a sudden, I could see his tail teaching, and then he would start scratching and biting. He would just go bonkers.
8: Like clockwork, Lucy would call out...
9: Mommy, can you take snowdrifts out of my room?
8: Night after night after night.
9: Mommy, can you take snowdress out of my room? Mommy, can you take snowdress out of my room? Mommy, can you take snowdress out, snow out, snow snow out of my room?
8: By about three months old, he would slip past our legs and go out the front door or hop out of windows two stories up... After Snowy got his first taste of hunting, he could not be contained.
12: I remember when he got his first mouse and I tried to take it away from him and this deep guttural growl came from deep within, like
8: and he would not let me
12: have his mouse, ran off and ate it. It was his first kill. I think he was only a few months old. He
8: loved it. He'd bring small birds into our bathroom, leaving a mess of feathers, two little toothpick legs, and a head. Then he moved up a size and started attacking our neighbor's chickens.
13: Hello, it's the people down the street that have had a problem with your cat uh, for about four months. Next message. Your cat got into the yard again, and I have called several times about this, and this is my final call. If we can figure out some way to uh, not have your cat Eat my chickens. I've been here for 13 years and my chickens are six years old.
8: Things got really bad the day Snowdrift ate a toe off of one of the beloved chickens.
12: Yep, we paid the vet bill and the chicken did appear to be missing a toe.
8: He chased one chicken down 45th Street to Dick's Burgers. Another time, he scared one into the Guild 45th Movie Theater. One of the hens was so frightened, it crossed a busy road and ended up at a taco shop. Some customers there took her home to their place in SeaTac, and her neighbor eventually got her back after posting a $100 reward on Craigslist. Snowdrift was becoming a menace. It was around this time, he would disappear for hours and hours. He'd always come back, but often the days stretched into the evening, the evenings would blur into the early morning hours, and then the phone would ring.
10: Next message sent on Tuesday, July 23rd at 3.23 a.m. Hi there, uh, my name's Pat, and I found your cat. Um... Yeah, I work at the Iron Bowl up on 45th and Bagley, so, um, yeah, I'm not really sure what to do, and I believe that I've seen this cat here before, he like, come over to our bar.
8: The Iron Bull Sports Bar, Owls, a pub around the corner, and Changes on 45th. That was Snowdrift's favorite bar. There are three 50 gallon fish tanks and changes. It's like premium cable TV for cats.
11: Hey, uh, George, Jennifer. Hey, Snowball's at Changes again. He's just chilling here looking at the fish, so you wonder where he is. He doesn't want to seem to leave today, though. He just wants to hunt fish.
12: <laughs> for a couple of years, our phone would ring quite often at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and it would be somebody in some bar who got our cat, and I remember one of those trips, I went to the bar called Changes, and they have kind of a back patio, and I made my way back there, and I found Snowdrift in the arms of two very large women who were cuddling him and blowing pot smoke into his face, and he was purring and seemed incredibly content, and I thought, maybe there's not a problem here. Maybe I don't need to take this cat home. I think I just left.
8: At Changes, Snowdrift found his people. At Changes, he was Snowball. The Wallingford bar cat. He'd lounge around on the pool tables. He'd look at the fish. He even got along with the dogs that the regulars brought in on leashes. The cat that drew blood from us at home was a different animal here.
10: Pretty sweet, like if you could capture him, you could pet him. He really wanted to he cuddle a him. lot. It was oh, like, please yeah. pet me. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna lay
4: in your I lap. He <laughs> would climb, if you didn't have your jacket and zips, he would climb in and just like cuddle under your jacket. Yeah. So, he's so sweet. Was that was that it was. A nice Definitely a bit better, persistent, because I was walking up this way and I'm allergic to cats, and he's just all over me. I'm like, I don't like you, go away, go away, you know. But it just so followed me all the way up here, I'm like, it was just like right in front of my feet. I'm like, fine, I'll pet you.
8: That's Allison, Deborah, Kelly, and James, some of the regulars at Changes, and Snowdrift's adopted family. Sorry, I mean Snowball. Allison remembers one day when everyone feared for Snowball. He crossed 45th and made it through the double doors at Murphy's, the Irish Bar, across the street from Changes. The
10: fact that he had made it over to across 45th was like a big deal in the neighborhood. My God,
8: the bar cat made it across
10: 45th? Is it okay? And so everybody started talking like, is, is whatever, Snowball, Snowball? Snowball, okay!
8: What is it with these people? Why them and not us? One person who might have an answer is Kat Albrecht. I'm the founder of Missing
10: Pet Partnership, and I also am a pet detective academy instructor where I teach other people to be pet detectives and to help families find their lost pets.
8: She knows why pets run away and the tricks to get them back. Pheromone sprays that smell like a mother cat can lure a lost cat into a box. Dogs are trained to sniff out cats hiding in roofs and tucked under porches.
10: I'm suspecting that the behavior that you saw um, with Snowdrift was not that he didn't love your family, not that he didn't want to live in your house, but that he was too afraid because something traumatic had happened and that he associated you and your family and coming into your house with that experience to the point that he wanted to get away
8: each time. We did not abuse this cat. We treated him well. George suspects it was the other beast in her house that drove Snowdrift away.
12: Well, we got a dog.
8: But that doesn't really make sense because Snowy got along with the dogs people brought into Changes. Maybe it was our young children who were sweet with him, but...
12: Maybe he was more jealous than he ever appeared to be.
8: Or perhaps we just weren't enough.
12: I just think that for him the world was this beautiful adventure and we were the most boring part of it. I think that Bar Changes was more exciting than staying at home and eating kibble. So, good for him. He saw the world on his own terms.
8: Cat Albrecht, the pet detective, says all it takes for some cats to run away is one bad fight.
10: And when they are pushed from their territory, they're oftentimes going to be too afraid to come back to that territory.
8: If this is what happened to Snowdrift, that he got turfed out by a bigger, meaner cat, then 45th Street, where Changes is, was clearly his new territory. He owned that strip. If you go there today. You won't find him. The very last call we got about snowdrift came from a young couple who live about six blocks away from us. He was hanging out in their yard. He ate a nest of baby hummingbirds in their tree. They overlooked this and saw him for the beautiful, small, gray-striped tabby he is and asked if they could keep him. It was time for us to let him go. When I went there with the kids to say goodbye, Snowy took one look at us and dived under the sofa. Snowdrift's new life does not include a dog. It does not include any children. Somehow they are keeping him indoors where he gets to look at a fish tank. His new life also includes a new name, Babau. Babau is what the artist Salvador Dali called his cat, a wild ocelot from the jungles of Colombia, a creature who was said to only be happy when he was able to escape his civilized surroundings.
3: Snowdrift
8: was produced by Jennifer Wing
3: for Sound Effect from KNKX in Tacoma, Washington.
8: So ravens are excellent at mimicking sounds they hear. Mischief, can you say hello? Hello. Good bird. Can you say hi? Hi. Good job. And sometimes he hears people who have a cold. <laughs>
3: Good bird. We've all known animals with special skills. My childhood cat polar bear's greatest skill was, well, shedding. But don't use him as an example. Plenty of animals can do much more than sit up, beg, and roll over, like play music and paint. And on a personal note, I would definitely call my dog Snickers a great dancer. But do they know they're composing, painting, and dancing? Is it with intention Or, as producer Sean Cole asks, are animals creative?
17: Well, there's a dog in Hamilton, Ontario that can play the piano. Of course, it's just a little toy piano with blinking red lights that tell you when to hit the keys. There's also a dog in Brooklyn named Tillamook Cheddar that sort of draws with her paws, and
4: really the rest of her body, too. Her her art is... Definitely, uh, there's a destructive element to it. You know, she definitely, she's very aggressive, and she sort of goes at it and attacks it. (laughs) Mm.
17: Tillamook Cheddar has 38 professional gallery showings under her belt or collar or whatever. People have been training elephants to paint for years and selling those paintings. But is a painting by an animal an example of animal creativity? It certainly could be. This is Allison Kaufman, a graduate student in neuroscience at the University of California at Riverside. A couple of years ago, she co-authored a paper with her husband called Applying a Creativity Framework to Animal Cognition.
15: It's very hard to say whether or not they're aware that they're creating art or creating something. But what what you can say is that it's definitely a novel behavior.
17: The problem with the word creativity is that it can mean an awful lot of things. And the way scientists like Allison define it, being novel isn't enough. She says the behavior also has to be appropriate.
15: So, for example, if I asked you to pave my driveway and you paved it with salami, that would be novel, (laughs) but it wouldn't be appropriate to the situation.
17: Though it would probably get you a gallery showing with Tillamook cheddar. But see, animals in the wild don't have time to express their feelings of existentialism. They're too busy coming up with creative ways to survive. Still, there are times when some animals look like they're surviving artistically. Like the Australian bower bird. It's the males who build the nests.
15: And studies of these bowers, is what the nest is called, have shown that ones that are decorated better and with more novel things tend to be more attractive to females. Bright, shiny items, very uh, bright colors of items at some level tell the female that this is a male that's capable of finding these things.
17: It also seems to be like a recognition of aesthetics, like brighter colors, different textures. Do you know what Absolutely. I mean? Like they're seeing that stuff and, and responding to it in, in some way.
15: Absolutely. And they are in some way.
17: What about an elephant that's been trained to play a percussive instrument improvisationally and then does so?
15: Interesting. Um... It's a very interesting question.
17: This is a track off of Elephonic Rhapsodies, the second album of a group called the Thai Elephant Orchestra. They're elephants,
2: holding mallets
17: in their trunks and banging on huge instruments.
2: The classic instrument is a big xylophone-like instrument. Um, Thai people call it a ranat. David
17: Soldier designed the instruments and helped teach elephants at a conservation center in Thailand how to play them. They were already painting, he says, so music wasn't much of a stretch. He's even got a soloist
2: or two. For instance, the second cut on Elephonic Rhapsodies is uh, verbatim one of the elephants, Pung, improvising by himself. He wasn't, you know, taught this melody. He just made it up playing it on the Renat.
17: Apart from being a composer, Soldier runs a neuroscience lab at Columbia University. So he's really the perfect guy to ask whether animals are creative.
2: Being a biologist, of course, I'm going to jump on you and say, well, we're animals too, so... Non-human animals, I mean. Elephants. Do they have a concept of art? Uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, do they enjoy doing it? Yes, I believe some of them enjoy doing it. They'll walk up and do it spontaneously. Is that because they're bored? Yeah, probably. I think that they were... (laughs) living a more natural life, they wouldn't need to.
17: I could say that about a couple of human musicians I know.
2: To me, uh, personally, the science of this is the fact that they do it at all. That they make music. To me, that's the finding. Does that mean the elephants
17: are being creative? Well, Soldier says, is the sixth-chair violinist in the orchestra being creative? What about the kid who's forced to play trombone in the marching band? And you know... These are more like zen cones than questions that science can answer. So I'm just going to settle this issue right now. Are animals creative? Yes. Yes, they are. That was
3: easy. Are Animals Creative? Was produced by Sean Cole for Studio 360 from WNYC. They sure do love their pets over there. It or not, our furry friends who are silent witnesses to our childhood play a role in our lives that absolutely cannot be replicated elsewhere, in my opinion. You will never find the absolute unconditional devotion that you find in a pet. They are your confessor, your therapist, your best friend, and you, in turn, are the source of everything good. No wonder they lower your blood pressure and raise your serotonin level. Just take it from Charlie.
4: My guinea pig, her name is Turnip, is two, and her birthday's in May first. She's a plump little guinea pig. She's very fat. She has a huge nose. She has a really fat bum, and her neck is white, and her head is brown. Well, she nibbles me a lot. She pees on me a lot. When she gets happy, she goes when she gets upset, she goes <coughs> when she's just really calm be like, <laughs> I'll say all the things that she cannot have and she's really allergic to and all the things that she loves and she can eat Mushrooms, she can die Onions, she can go blind Potatoes and dairy and meat and gluten make her throw up and she can't throw up these are the things that she loves and she's allowed to eat celery lettuce and carrots and her cereal that she eats in the morning I'm so close to her I can't even tell you guys she's like my child I feel really close to her and that's how I feel but I don't know if that's true I don't know if, but I just feel that way she's in my heart and when I'm not close to her and I think of her, I sometimes tears run, run down my eyes. I like her so much.
8: That's a, That's a heavy brain for a tiny body. That's a lot of feeling for one person.
17: I don't feel anything like that about
4: anybody. Is that bad? <laughs> but I think it's too much.
12: It's okay to love your guinea pig that much, in my opinion. When I saw that one of the three of us would be a child, I was intimidated. Now I'm like, this is ridiculous.
7: He's
6: intimidated by you. What does that even mean? He's scared. He thinks you're smarter than him.
4: That is not true. You're
6: more charming.
4: You're more smarter than me. You've been alive longer than me. (laughs) Yeah,
12: you get dumber when you get older.
3: Charlie's Conundrum was produced by Sukian Lee and Veronica Simmons for the podcast Sleepover from the CBC. Sleepover throws three complete strangers together in a hotel room to talk about their problems and get fresh perspectives. You never know what will bubble up, but it's always intriguing. For a link to binge all of Season 1 and get caught up on Season 2, which just launched a few weeks ago, visit thirdcoastfestival.org.
4: One
10: more present! Whose kittens, are those? Yours. Ours? Your guys's. Oh my god! I love it!
3: (laughs) My childhood pet, Polar Bear the Cat, died at the age of 16 after I left for college. I like to think that that was purposeful on his part. But I can conjure up the feel of his fur to say nothing of the roar of his purr with great ease. I miss his zany, stupid, completely weird quirks, like, say, eating corn off the cob. These days, I have two dogs that have taken his place, sleeping at my feet and sometimes listening to my woes. But as much as I love, adore, and treasure my pooches, it is true that you never forget your first. So, Polar Bear, here's to you and the life you devoted to sunbathing, shedding, and loving a toddler till she was grown. You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Dennis Funk and curated by Johanna Zorn and Maya goldberg safer Isabel Vasquez is our production assistant. Music featured on ReSound is provided by Patient Sounds, a private press record label and book publisher based in Chicago. You can find a track list for this episode along with links to songs from the Patient Sounds catalog at thirdcoastfestival.org. While on our website, you can re-listen to today's program, check out more than 2,000 outstanding documentaries from around the world, and subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma. Emma. A web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival, now an independent arts organization, was originally founded at WBEZ Chicago. Want to stay up to date on the latest Third Coast happenings? Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or subscribe to our newsletter at thirdcoastfestival.org. With so much to listen to and so little time, Resound. All diamonds, no rough.